Hey everybody, it's Jim and Aaron. We're back with another episode of uh, the Bald Move Commission Movies podcast. Um, I don't know. We, we should come up with a better name. Snap your name for this. Uh, we've got a commission, the 1964 British film Zulu, about uh, kind of the later stages of the Zulu-Anglo war going down in South Africa. Uh, this was commissioned by Glenn Subert. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. And uh, he introduces the movie thusly, says, The movie I'd like you to review, Zulu, filmed in South Africa in 1964, starring Stanley Baker and his in his first major role, Michael Caine. It's based on a true story of fighting at the Rourke's Drift between the British and Zulu nation in 1879. I've watched this movie many times since it caught my imagination as a child in the mid-70s, so much so that I visited Real Sight in 1995. As movies will do, it takes some liberties with the truth, and it's naturally dated in some ways, but the evocative music and beautifully staged battle scenes are timeless. I like to point out that the film uh, treats the Zulus with respect. On a number of occasions, their strength and general prowess are mentioned generally in response to prejudiced comments by different characters. Some might say this is merely to show how much better the British were able to defeat them, but I feel the movie underlines the feelings of guilt and disdain after a battle against a noble enemy, even in victory rather than gloating and flag-waving. The fact that it was made despite being under the baleful gaze of the apartheid era, South Africa culture, culture of ministry says something positive about the makers. So this hmm. film was directed by Cy Enfield, and uh, who I started, I went through his filmography to see if there's anything else I, I uh, recognized, and my heart skipped a beat momentarily when I saw Universal Soldier. I'm like, no fucking way he directed Universal Soldier. Right. Literally, no fucking way. <laughs> he did. It's, it's the 1971 version starring George Lazenby, which yeah. you might recognize his name from James Bond infamy. He played the right. one non-Connery, non-Moore, non-any uh, f- famous... Dalton. Uh, J- the, only, the only guy that has the distinction of being in one James Bond and one James Bond only. Okay. Uh, and there's a whole complex story behind that, but certainly not the Universal Soldier you were thinking of. No, there's no Dolph Lundgren. He was not making films. He he might have been dead by then. I don't know. His last movie was '79, I think. Maybe Zulu Dawn. Yeah. Which was this? Did you know that was a prequel? Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, purports to depict the the large the massacre that we kind of start off with mm-hmm. uh, the quote unquote massacre. Uh, so what did you think of this film? Just in in general, let's talk about it. Uh. I think it's dated as hell, for sure. Um, the, plus, being British, it also doesn't quite have the sensibilities that you know I would uh, I would look for as an American film goer. What do you mean by that? Um, just I, I don't know. I mean, it maybe it's all dated um, to the point where I can't quite appreciate it as much as I should. But I I don't know. I found very little enjoyable about this film other than aside from a few scenes that i think still hold up Hmm. um i I don't know how to how to exactly describe it but like the the battle scenes while he says they're you know timeless um i disagree i think they look dated they look like the the battle scenes you'd see in a 60s movie um there's there's just not a lot in regards to like special effects that they can do back then as compared to today so to me, it looks very dated. Not to say I don't enjoy the movie and I didn't think it was it was good and it might have been a masterpiece in its time. I just think it's a little dated. See, I, I guess I've spent a lot more time watching old movies than you to where, mm-hmm. um, you know, stuff like uh, Lawrence of Arabia and Ben-Hur 
Right. Uh, I and and the Ten Commandments, for that matter, any of the old sword and sandal epics. Uh, I guess I appreciate this thing was filmed in something called Super Technorama seventy, which you know seventy millimeter print tells you, holy shit, look at the detail. And Technorama, I think, is a color process. And I thought this mm-hmm. movie just pops. Like if you're going to watch this film, uh, I would spring for the Blu-ray. Uh, which you can get like for nine bucks on Amazon or a high def or you know a, an HD stream because the you know the, the British are wearing their scarlet you know uniforms and those things just pop off the screen. There is like a ten minute almost documentary. I mean I don't know how accurate it is, but showing like this mass wedding c- ceremony between Zulu warriors and maidens, like hundreds of them. Yeah. And it's fascinating, and it's be- it is it's mm-hmm. it's 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 beautiful, and like you just don't see films like this anymore, where they drug their asses down to South Africa, they utilized you know approximations of the real locations in the real part of the world. There's you know it's not like three or four guys in the foreground and hundreds of digital Weta powered CG extras. Like everything you see, right. like when these guys are marching on the move. It's like real dust is being kicked up, and when I think the best shot in the movie is when the the the, the is so so the premise of this um, is that you know it, it's essentially the la uh, the the Alamo uh, for these British yeah. forces holding down this mission fort again, and there's like a hundred of them, and it's a hospital fort, so a lot of them are sick and wounded mm-hmm. versus four thousand of these Zulu warriors. Um, and I think the best scene in the movie is when the Zulus, you know, they've been they've been dreading them coming for days and been trying to prepare as as best as they can, and they finally are here, and you, they just keep panning on this mountain ridge, and there's just hundreds hmm. and hundreds of because of the detail in the film of easily distinguishable warriors, and it's just like it's a sight to behold. Yeah, I, for me, the best scene in this movie is probably when they're listening to the Zulu. Um, come come through the valley like a train marching yeah you can hear like they're yeah they did a lot of good stuff in this movie to create that tension like there, there was a lot of shots of them just kind of looking off into the distance at nothing yeah and, and in anticipation and i think that's where for me you know emotionally this this movie held up the strongest because mm-hmm. you really identify with those guys there's a threat bearing down on them that they have no way of withstanding or at least they don't think they do mm-hmm. um and it, it just gets more and more tense as it goes on I bet you, you mentioned the battle scenes seem kind of you know tame or what whatnot, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, it's all just a little silly. Like, you'll see spears going to the sides of people and them falling over after a single shot, holding their chest, uh, right? Like right, that right, right. sort of. But shit. I mean, like you've seen Saving Private Ryan, it's like you have to be able to kind of shift into this other time gear because I bet for the day. <laughs> they were fairly shocking because Probably, you actually yeah. saw bladed weapons entering people's flesh. Not very deep, right? Because right. I imagine they had some kind of—I don't know how they pulled that off. Um, I don't, I don't I, know. Whether they just had padding and these were like kind of blunt spears, but they would go mm-hmm. in there and there's blood and you know just hundreds of people dying. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I got uh, just in the way that like I can still appreciate Jason and Argonauts when the skeletons come on. It's mm-hmm. like that shit is hokey as hell, but you think of the skill and craftsmanship and put yourself back in a day where you'd never seen like, Oh shit, animated skeletons and they're attacking real people. Right. That would have blown your fucking mind. Right. Uh, like you don't like when, when you saw Star Wars for the first time, you didn't see the mat lines. Sure. 
And that since then, George Lucas has gone back and airbrushed them all out. But, mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like that. It's, you know, if, if you were to watch in 2016 an original print of Star Wars, you could see the mat lines and you can see where, mm-hmm. you know, the motion tracking with the camera is kind of limiting what the dogfights can can do. But Right. My, my point here is not that that I can't get into the time period. My point is it's not timeless. It doesn't, it obviously doesn't look like the stuff that they make today. And it's, you know, it is of its time. So like almost by definition, it's not timeless. Well, I, but what I'm saying is like, I, yes, same... I can put my head in there and, and excuse and hand wave away all the stuff that I notice about these fight scenes that is silly and ridiculous. Yeah. But that like they're, they're still there. It's not like I, I think can... what he means by timeless is is kind of the same way that like Jason and the Argonaut skeleton scene is timeless. That it's you can appreciate the craftsmanship and well, that stuff is stylized to the point where I think it might be actually timeless. Like you can look at it and say, "Oh, that's a cool technique" or something like that. But I don't know. What I appreciated is the acting by the leads because a lot they of they were much better than the rest of the. Than, than some of the other people. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, here is, like, you get into the 60s, well, yeah, I guess even in the 50s. I don't know exactly when this switch mm-hmm. from stage acting to method acting happened. Yeah. But the guys who are playing the leads here, uh, Lieutenant Shard and Bromhead, uh, played by Stanley Baker and Michael Caine, respectively, are really excellent. And this is this has been uh, called the movie that made Michael Caine a star. Yeah. Uh, so if you liked him in Batman... Uh, you got to you got to give a, appreciation to Zulu, and I guess uh, there I, I saw an interview with Michael Caine where I you know this being his first major role, he was super nervous yeah. in his audition, and the director said <laughs> before they put him on the boat to South Africa, is like you that's the worst screening screen test I've ever seen, but we're literally out of time to find <laughs> anyone else. So get on the goddamn boat. Like, that seems, you imagine saying that to Michael Caine? Right. It it seems shocking to me that they would allow him to be a lead in this, given that screen test, when they could have swapped him for someone else. Well, they, maybe like, the they had other people. We could find some white Afrikaner down in, you know, like, worst comes the worst, if you just completely stink bombs, how hard it is it to find a good-looking guy who can play kind of a... Uh, a dandy, like it. So, so I want to talk about something that else I liked about this this film, which is the interesting relationship between the two guys. You have okay. they're both lieutenants. Yeah, one is a lieutenant uh, in the like I guess Army Corps of Engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you building know, he's, the he's building bridges. He's not really battlefield ready or whatnot. And then you've got Michael Caine playing the guy who is a son of a son of a son of a military man. Mm-hmm. And his grandfather fought in many famous battles. That uh, water was what about Waterloo? I think so. I Which think is they like said that Christ, yeah. like that's for right. British First Napoleon, where yeah. you defeat Napoleon. Mm-hmm. That's you're 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 drinking beer for that's free. The opposite of your Waterloo. That's your <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> whatever it is. Yes, that's where we finally knocked off the old battle. Although I guess it would also be your Waterloo. Is it just a different context? Then I guess yeah. Do they be. use it as? Do they say what's well, kind of like when that's, we celebrate that's the our Waterloo? Of, when we celebrate for the Fourth of July, dude, right. dude, the Brits like sit across the pond like you sons of bitches. The Fourth Fuck of July, your fireworks. Sucked. Yeah, uh, they don't. Right. They, they they just all get drunk. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was interesting because he's he's kind of like the Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. He feels like he has got this tradition of military, and he's wanting to distinguish himself. And you can sell like. 
first of all, I'm thinking in South Africa, it must be fucking hot as hell. Yeah. And, you know, the Zulus are running around in grass skirts and cowhide armor, and the Brits are wearing these super heavy wool jackets, mm-hmm. you know, with these crazy pith helmets, and Michael Caine is going cheetah hunting with a cape on top of all that. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, like, we're... I, the, I, because of the cultural differences, at the very beginning of the movie, I was finding it hard to get exactly what they're trying to tell me about the characters. Like, Michael Caine showing hunting these cheetahs, mm-hmm. but he's also shown missing a lot of his shots. Right. And I'm like, is yeah. that because the cheetah's super fast? Or are they trying to imply that he's kind of a bad hunter? Right. Are the weapons just bad? Or, was like, he, or did he sh- hit the cheetah and we're supposed to understand that now he's got to... Because it's, you know, a lot of the time it, yeah. you you shoot an animal, it doesn't just drop dead. Right. It manages to stagger for a couple hundred yards, if, if not longer. you got to track it. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the fact well, of the I mean, matter is he comes back with his... He's got a cheetah and an antelope or whatever, so he's got the game, but... Yeah, I, well, I've, I've also heard that... I don't know how true this is, but that the way that primitive humans used to hunt uh, animals like deer and and stuff oh, like yeah. that would be to shoot them, endure, it. follow them until they collapse, which could be miles and miles and hours, yeah. uh, and then go go grab the car. See, I thought you were going to talk endurance stalking because I guess right, that's what I mean. Yeah. Before then, they didn't even shoot them; they would just follow sure, yeah. an antelope until. And that's why you get like these tribes in Africa, which can, which routinely yeah. their members can run. Miles upon my hundreds of miles, sure, back to back because that's what they do for the It's like, food. look up who wins marathons, right? It's never some There's white guy from Boston, ever. Yeah. It's never Sully from from <laughs> from from south from Southie or whatever, right? Uh, it's 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 always some uh African dude uh-huh. who's got that. I mean, and that's the, they make the deal like these. So, this, what do you know about the Zulus? Uh, next to nothing. As as little as I know about race relations in America, I know far less about apartheid and all. all well, this that is stuff. all pre-apartheid, but that's I guess that's the interesting thing is right. I was expecting a little bit of historical context. Uh huh. But again, this is nineteen sixty four. This is film. like the beginning of it, right? Think like, about like any western you saw in the sixties. There wasn't a lot of context about like right. Native Americans versus. Why would there be? It was the sixties, right? <laughs> so, but and I was like, I wonder. You know, it's like so. Like, I guess this is great because the British have won. But then again, this is South Africa, and I know eventually apartheid happened after World War Two, right? So, and, you know, colonialism, bad, all that kind of stuff. It, you, have, you bring in 2016 sensibilities, and there's mixed feelings about it. But sure. what is interesting is, like, so Shaka Zulu, who lived about 50 years before this, is the guy who founded this Zulu kingdom. And he's the one who put in all these advanced tactics. Like, they make a big deal about the horns of the bull, yeah. which is, you know, essentially... The horns and the loin. The horns and the loin. Uh, it's essentially a way to engage and encircle... Uh, an enemy and destroy them. Yeah. Uh, how how fast and mobile the uh, the Zulu warriors were because uh, you know I don't and I don't know some of this might be apocryphal because it's like anytime you're studying a different culture who is written by another culture a hundred plus years ago yeah. you just never know. But uh, his like standing operating procedures. He trained all his warriors. They couldn't wear sandals. He marched them on rocky, thorny ground to like toughen up their feet, and allegedly they could move fifty miles in a day, which is incredible. Yeah. Also, I guess uh, the way he founded his kingdom is back in the day, 
the 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 African way of war was long spears that were thrown, mm-hmm. and he uh, had these almost sword like da- the spears that we we notice like you know they're like essentially two feet of shaft with a foot long blade at the end, and yeah. his 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 emphasis was to close quickly and to close or and just butcher people like they got these long ten foot spears, and you're just coming in with your shield and and cutting them down. The movie doesn't do a great job of portraying that. That's the thing. Um, and that's the thing that consistently shit. bothered me. I didn't understand the tactics. Like, they tried to explain it. But, like, when I'm watching a movie like Black Hawk Down, I feel like they do a clear job of explaining how 100 Rangers and Delta Force operators can hold off thousands of, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the African militia or whatever they were mm-hmm. in, in Mogadishu. Um, you know, it's like, hey, they've got these weapons and training and tactics, and they got close air support, and they've got, you know... Uh, drones supplying real-time thermal imagery, and it's like, you know, that okay, yeah, that's how that can happen. Here, it's like the Zulus send in a couple hundred dudes to just essentially chant in front of the British and just take horrific fire. And yeah. there's this Swiss mercenary or military police officer who's who's come by to provide essentially background information to the audience about the zulus <laughs> warfare and whatnot uh-huh. and he says oh this is this they're just counting your guns lieutenant right and i'm like well i i get these guys don't have telescopes and whatnot and binoculars or maybe they do i mean they had they had guns that they picked up from the 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 dead officers that they yeah um you know massacred before uh so that's the other thing is like i'm thinking well spears versus guns you know the British have Gatlin guns at this point. Like this is that this is why I right. hold out against four thousand. But no, the Zulus had guns too. I'm like, but if you're on the mountain ridge, can't you just count how many red fucking bright scarlet coats there are and assume every one of those has a gun? You have to lose a couple so. hundred dudes to, and then maybe you know double the number for the people who might be inside. I I, I don't know. It seemed to me like they had four thousand guys. This battle could have been over instantly. It does seem just, like just rush because by the time they get to their their stand their their holdout mm-hmm. scene where they just they back up and they shoot and they back up and they shoot and like they just massacre probably a hundred of them right mm-hmm. there right. as they're charging and then they run away. By the time they got to there, the battle could have been over sixteen times. I mean, right? Every it's time like... they charged, they would come in, they would overrun their lines. Yes, they would get behind them and then they would stop and retreat. And I I don't. I don't. I found myself infuriated by the tactics more than and I think enjoying cause, the battles. Because that's the other thing is like I feel like as movie going generals that we think that you know it's nothing to go in and lose ten fifteen percent of your men in a charge and you should just be able. But, but in real life, uh, that's enough to make an f- army turn around and flee when like one out of ten of sure, you is dropping yeah. dead. It's like oh, sh- regardless of what your commanders want you to do, you just break ranks and flee. Yeah. So I feel like there was some of that stuff where it's almost like maybe they expected us to know more about old timey war than we did. Yeah, I just like what I saw on the screen didn't reflect the idea that the Zulu were losing. No, um, for a lot of the time, and and that's the problem. Like, I, I just or the like I said, the Swiss guy comes in and is like, "Here's what they're going to do. They're going to send the horns of the the ox, and they're going to send this big head that's going to engage you, and then they're going to flank you from the sides, and they got this whole reserve of loins of any side shows weakness. They're going to pour through and overrun you. Four thousand to one hundred. How did that not ever happen? And again, there yeah, there must lose. have been reasons for it. Um, but I I I, I couldn't tell from watching the movie. It just seemed yeah. like the British would lose 
10, 15 guys. The Zulus would lose a couple hundred. The Zulus would run off. And then they would repeat it three or four more times. Yeah, and it, it was like... Um, so I guess in the real battle, this, this film is not historically accurate, really. No. Um, there's a lot of liberties they've taken. But yeah. um, in the real battle... It was something like four hundred Zulus killed, and and maybe as much as like seven eight hundred total killed after like because wounded, they were too were wounded killed. to move, but they died later. Yeah, right. Um, so that's so so that's pretty a, amazing. You know, a tenth of the the force. That's yep. pretty good. I, I also heard that twenty thousand bullets were shot, twenty thousand rounds fired, and four hundred people killed. See, that doesn't shock me. That shocks me. That I feel like that fifty if you, to one. If you if you if you look at any kind of uh, statistics for military engagements, that the amount of shots fired to casualties is way the hell out of whack. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Number one, uh, when you are being fired upon or attacked, you are panicky and yeah. your adrenaline jacked, and you're sh- and and you're firing wild, and mm-hmm. you know it's it's not as easy to hit a guy running at you from fifty yards away as you'd think. And two, that surprises me. Two, that the inborn disinclination to take another human life is so strong that many people just, like, fire for suppression and never actually intend, no, don't even actually consciously aim at the enemy. And a lot of modern huh. military doctrine is over, you know, is, 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 is trying to acclimize a soldier to shooting at human targets before they're put in a situation where they have to. Hmm. Okay, but back in the old days, where like half of these guys are probably conscripts, and right. you know you've got they're they're sick and wounded anyway, and you know you'd think oh, I'm fighting for my life, but I don't know. There was did you have you heard the new uh, Dan Carlin? No, I haven't. Because he talks about you know especially in this type of uh, of combat where you're talking about bayonet charges versus short spear charges that. Mm-hmm. Man, nobody wants to be stuck, and surprisingly few amount of people want to stick people. So it's okay, like, but they still get the job done. Like, eh, I mean, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine it's tons of stories of people like, you know, they, 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 they get to, it's almost like a, like when, when, when you fix bayonets and charge, the expectation is the other uh, army is going to break before you get there because nobody wants to get stuck. Sure. But there's, he's, he t- recounted incidents where like armies would meet and kind of like, uh, dance around each other and then kind of disengage because again, that's that's fucking real, man. It ain't like Anchorman, it it, right? But also, th- th- there's the reality of someone charging you with the intent to kill you. That doesn't snap you the fuck out of it and say, "Shoot this guy." I don't think people work that way. It would for me if someone charges me with a spear, yelling, and and there are thousands of them. I'm going to fucking shoot them. Okay, <laughs> like, what's the sense in not? I mean, I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I'm just saying that, like, what what the the what people tell me from the battlefield is that's what happens. So right. like, it again, just seemed like a shocking then, amount of ammunition expended. For sure, but the same you can look at the Civil War same way. Uh, all the World Wars, right. Vietnam, like especially Vietnam, like the ammo expended versus corpses on the ground is mm-hmm. shocking. Shocking. Yeah, it's just I mean they're lining up and there's a line charging them. Like it doesn't seem that hard to hit what you're aiming at if in fact you are aiming at it I don't well know. that's the other thing about the the volley fire is like mm-hmm. you know you have might have four or five guys aiming at one dude sure yeah. so it's not as efficient as you know i guess firing for effect or whatever um yeah there's a lot of i mean a lot of historical a lot of inaccuracies, inaccuracies like the hook wh- yeah that character of hook 
was apparently not a drunk at all. He was a model soldier. And not only was he not a drunk, but he was posted at the hospital as a guard. Yeah. Not meandering and under arrest and, like, all this bullshit that they're talking about. In this movie, he's a cross between, like, Hawkeye from MASH and Gomer Pyle. And he's he's under arrest for theft. He's a drunk. He is a malingerer. He, you know, and but, but... and I guess the the for some reason the filmmakers wanted to have this kind of roguish character that's forced to do something honorable, yeah, out of circumstance. But the reality is, I guess he had a surviving daughter that was like an honored attendee, this elderly woman, yep. and she knows her dad, her her father was a hero, and mm-hmm. he's you know awarded this very prestigious British you know combat's valor award, and she gets there and he's this, he's like you know Chevy Chase looking guy like slapping girls on the ass and and smart math in his command and, and she she walked out of the movie like if i'm uh yeah si, what's his face i'm feeling pretty it, bad about that it's especially <laughs> weird given that they had this other guy named alan who was who had just been reprimanded and demoted i think for they being a drunk into the hero or was that the color sergeant you're talking about? I don't I don't know who he was, but why not make him Oh, I see what you're saying. Hook, right? Yeah, like know. why not make him the guy who's got to do this? I I don't know. It seems to like besmirching someone's character for no reason. The other thing is I guess the wits who were the Swedish missionaries, the guys that ride by on horses or No, 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 the, the oh, guy the, with the, the daughter. daughter. Oh god, nightmare. So I they... These people. That's the thing. Like, this guy ends up turning into, like, the preacher from Blazing Saddles. Okay. Like, his affect and mannerisms are, and just over-the-top mugging is like this guy. And he's like, I felt like the British officers put up with way too much shit from this guy. I would have... Yeah. Because I guess I, I also didn't appreciate until I started researching that he's not a British citizen. So I guess... The British soldiers couldn't just like you know put him up against a wall and shoot him. I don't care if you're a man okay. of cloth or not. Right. You, after the third day of you, like you're all gonna die, you're all gonna die. And I also felt like he kept on flip flopping. Like at one point he's like, "The Lord is with you; you cannot lose." And well, the he other got drunk. Ah, like he progressively got. They don't do a good job of telling us that mm-hmm. he's drinking in the process. Like they show him getting in the rafters, getting his bottle, and taking a swig. And then they stick him kind of in in this building. I don't know. It looks Where, like he's in an outhouse half the yeah, time, yeah. but I think it's a it's an outcropping of this yeah, building yeah. Yeah. Um, that he's in. And he's shouting, and he's. I think he's progressively getting more and more drunk, drinking while he's in there. Because then they later say, "Oh, he's he's got a bottle," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he looks, and he gets louder and more, uh, you know, fervent. Right. But they finally pack him off. And I guess in real life, this person, he wasn't a pacifist at all, but he 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 gave up his mission as a military outpost because he supported what the British army was doing and that he wanted to stay and fight. But ultimately, he had two small children and his wife, not a grown ass daughter Hmm. uh, that was constantly under threat of rape by these uh, British officers. Yeah. um, That uh, he decided to that that discretion was a better part of valor for his status of a clergyman and, and father. So he left amicably um before the fighting broke out yeah and and you know one of the biggest problems i have with this movie is the acting i mean it's aside from the leads 
I think it's and maybe like Hook and a couple of other. I people. thought the woman who played the 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 daughter of the preacher wit was good. Oh God, I thought she was terrible. Really? Yeah, I I I just don't like that style of overacting. I mean, okay. everybody in this is overacting, with maybe the exception of Michael Caine and Stanley Baker, um, and and maybe Hook, but I think he's doing a little bit of overacting himself. But like, you got guys in the hospital who are sh- basically shouting "Whoa, is me!" at the screen. Uh-huh. Uh, like I said, in the battle scenes, you got people clutching their their chest and going up on their toes and then falling over like a two mm-hmm. by four. It's mm-hmm. it's shit you see in cartoons and like stage plays. Yeah, stage plays. It's just it takes me out of it. I can't I can't identify with the people when they're they're acting like characters, not humans. Because I remember when I first started going through the AFI 100, I'd get the things like you know I get excited like oh I'm about to see Casablanca, Humphrey fucking Bogart, man. Right. Uh, or you see him in the Maltese Falcon, you're like Jesus Christ, what the hell? This is the hammiest shit. Yeah. But then when you see other actors from the same period and like how much worse they were, like he's actually like a right. giving a great performance of this style mm-hmm. of the evolution of cinema. And you start to appreciate it. Like it's like going to a Japanese Kabuki theater and like, right. this is not real. What is the fuck with this makeup? They all look like a bunch of fucking ghosts. Like you're missing the point that sure. this is a very high, lot, a very highly stylized performance and he's actually crushing it. But because you're used to, you know, Brando-esque method acting and, mm-hmm. and people being gritty and real, which, I mean, that's the question. Like, is modern art, is, like, classical art better than modern art? Like, is it, is, is <laughs> that's like... That's a big question. No, you know, I'm, I'm, but that's like, what I'm, that's, that's the kind of stuff, where, like, is a sculpted Greek statue uh-huh. better than a fucking dolly painting where the clocks are melted or better than, you know, um... Who's the guy that painted? Uh, it wasn't Dolly. Picasso. Picasso, where he's got crazy fucking three dimensional things unwrapped, and it's all stylized. Right. Like, yeah. is it is is better one better art than another? Uh, well, that's different. I mean, saying like, is this art style of art better than another style of art? Well, I mean, sculpture versus paintings is a little strange. I don't know how you compare those two. Seems like apples and oranges, but like. When I'm talking about conveying emotion on screen, like which is a thing, I feel like the modern way of doing it is better. But you know, I could be biased. I could be. Well, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. So, so if you wanted to, that's what I'm saying. If you want to say painting, let's say, you know, you there was this um, like, kind of pre-Raphaelite, super highly like almost a photograph, realistic with the lighting and everything, and they strove for that kind of perfection. Mm-hmm. Is that better than a Picasso? It's tough because in acting, the point of it is to convey emotion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is no point to a painting. It's it's to make you feel something, yes, but many many things can do that, and I feel like conveying realistic human emotion is something that's more admirable than conveying like some very highly stylized emotion. Cause I, I just can't identify with it. Well, I mean, it's, it's much less ambiguous. Like when Humphrey Bogart is, uh, you know, when he's sad, angry, or <laughs> right. like you, like there's no ambiguity no. there. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, again, I don't know I if it's like better it's or different. worse. It's just, a, for me, 
personally, I hey, appreciate the, the modern style of acting. I like photorealistic paintings and think they're more impressive than impressionistic modern stuff. So I'm on... See, I like both of those, though. I'm not... Huh. Like, paintings aren't the same for me. Okay, because see, I'm... Like, just... I can appreciate different types of art. It's just... With acting, it's a different thing. No, I'm 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 the same way in the cinema where I can appreciate the old classic scene chewers, huh. okay. uh, as well as marvel at the, the the new type of performances as well. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's the other thing is like uh, it's supremacy of the actor versus director. Like in the old days, like you just read your fucking lines, man, mm-hmm. and you hit your cues and you did all that stuff. Whereas now you've you know you got Brando refusing to memorize his lines and you, you know like i'm gonna i'm just going you, i tell you what uh you put um shit who's the guy to play tom hagan uh duvall yeah you put robert, robert duvall. duvall over there and you put the script on his chest and i'm going and and you, you put it on the ceiling and i'm just going to look around the room and read it and and what whatever hits me hits me and like okay that seems fucking crazy but you get the godfather and can you imagine as a director you're mm-hmm. pulling your fucking hair out because yeah. are you going to get the Godfather? Or are you going to get the doc- island of Doctor Moreau, and the guy's going to start wearing bedpans <laughs> on his head and like dressing moo-moos and shit? Like you've lost control. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I said. It's they're two different schools of thought and, and making film. They are, uh, and and it's you know it's not across the board either. I think Michael Caine does bring a little bit of the modern sensibility of of acting to it, and it's same with Stanley Baker. What do you think if you went back to like the 1930s and you showed an audience Godfather? I don't know. They'd probably be confused and like, like, have no I don't idea. Know, what like, think. I don't know what anyone's thinking or feeling, and like, oh my god, it's so shockingly yeah. bloody and violent. I mean, that's that's the one that, thing. Sure, yeah. But like, I wonder, like, if they just wouldn't get it, it would be kind of us watching like the old stuff, where it's like, I just, I don't like, you know, you you you, you have to teach an audience these these conventions of cinema and this language of film, mm-hmm. and it's an evolving thing. So it's almost like you know. Uh, it, it's kind of like criticizing silent movies for having shitty dialogue. It's like, well, that was the the the, the that's the essentially you know Paleolithic era. They just had sticks and stones. What do you, what do you want them to do? Um, right. So what else do we want to talk about? Uh, uh, I can talk about what I appreciated. I have, I have this line. Uh, I don't know what it means, but it says the first casualties were due to buggery. Mouthful of corn. No. Where I, did that come? I, I'm 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 saying that just because I I think Glenn might laugh because I if he's seen the movie as much as he's there's got to be a mouthful of corn scene, uh, right? Uh, or why would I write this down? That I mm, <laughs> I don't know. Um. Oh, you know I I do want to talk I do want to talk about um the relationship between uh the these two l- lieutenants. Uh, we kind of like petered out on that. But uh, it turns out that um, in British hierarchy, uh, the chain of command is all about uh, seniority. And the engineering lieutenant had like two months of seniority over the groomed officer infantry fighter man. Yeah. And he decides to not yield command, and he's going to take command of the thing. And I guess he does a good job. Uh, Yeah, I mean, at one point, he kind of bows out for a second. But He's that's like, the thing. oh, I've been shot. Well, we, you haven't been when shot, When the shit man. hit the fan, Michael Caine's lieutenant really didn't want to assume command. He was kind yeah. of afraid of the moment. Yeah. Whereas the the uh, and, and to the point where he's got overwhelmed and he's like, you know what? You're the one who's born and bred to the gun. 
I'm gonna let you take control. Uh, Michael Caine's character is like, nah, man, you you're you you need to lead. Yeah, I mean, he does like while he's stumbling to the infirmary or the hospital or whatever it is there, he does take over. But like at, at some point, somebody gives him a pep talk. It's like, who is it? I, I, I think Caine. the doctor. The doctor like sees him or something and says, "You're not hurt or something. Get back out there." And then like, so, I think several people tell him like, "We need you." And then. Michael Caine, when he gets back, is like, "Yeah, good, good to have you back," or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. You you can clearly see like they do a good job of portraying his reluctance to both both his desire to be in command there because at the beginning I felt like he wanted to retreat. He wanted to leave the base. Look, I'm just yeah. I'm just here building a bridge. That's yeah, all I want to do. Was my orders. I'm not here to battle. Let's all retreat. And I have seniority, so I'm going to call this. But by the time they got around to to actually like having the ability to do that it's like he had changed his mind and and i think like i understood the reasons for that like you know he was gonna retreat but there were some situations that caused him not to be able to and now that he's in it he's gonna take over it was a mit so so how much because it seemed to me that there's a mixture of his pride being wounded by the michael character brash dashing infantry officer uh-huh. and also the fact that they were going to realistically have to abandon a lot of wounded and sick men right to save the healthy ones yeah. how much I, and i guess when i, I was think watching it's all it, in there it's... i thought it was i thought it was mostly his e i don't know because the guy was played and here again i there's a lot of cultural things and the dialogue um was kind of hard for me to wrap my head around because it's they're talking like just yeah british British slang and all and, and slinging styles at you of fast. It. Yeah. yeah, there's then they have these discussions about Welsh and Scottish and uh-huh. Irish and all this shit in here. Just when you get used to an accent, they bring in a new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but I I felt like that I thought it was more about him being wanting to show this guy versus saying. But I think you thought I had the opposite impression. It was more about saving the men. Uh, at the beginning, so I think it was about different things at different times, right? Like uh-huh. at the beginning, it's about look, we don't need to fight this battle. Let's get the hell out of here. Um, oh, we can't. Okay, well, I guess I'll stick around and and take command of this. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was nice how that that character evolved over the course of this movie. Yeah, and even uh, and and also like Michael Caine, like he was the one that's all for the battle. But then at the mm-hmm. end, he says, I feel sick and ashamed as he's looking yeah. out over all these dead bodies and all of his dead men. And they're kind of uh, I wasn't that the other thing that like I feel like in the beginning of the movie and this is the pitfall of only seeing a movie once when you've got this many cultural and, and uh, dialogue uh, difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like Michael Caine was implying that he had command experience. And yep. the engineering officer was not saying anything. But then at the end of the movie, I felt like, was that both of their first actions? Or had the engineering guy actually fought a small skirmish? I want to say it was both of their first ones. I thought, but at some point in the movie, I thought that... Uh, I, the, the, he the, did. He says that, okay. that he's had, he's been in battle before. Okay. That this, this is not his first one. But then at the end, he admits that... This but was then also fact. he. Why are you talking about Michael Caine? No, the the other guy, Stanley Baker. The okay, okay. Charred, so I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, okay, that makes much more sense because at first I was thinking like, okay, I couldn't remember who lied about what. Um, because this like jockeying for power happens like the first half of the film. There's no battle. Like right. you open up on yeah. this massacre, and that's the other thing that I guess we left out. The framing of there was like a thousand 
like a whole regiment of of a thousand British soldiers that had cannons and heavy weapons and all this other stuff that got wiped out by this band of four thousand Zulus. Yeah. you uh you know pan over and it's just just dead soldier after dead soldier um and you know that kind of heightens like there's no way these guys can survive yeah yeah they're and they're, again i still don't understand how they survive i don't it, either it seems like um if the zulus wanted to take that they could have um and mm-hmm. they could have also looked at him like there's a hundred guys in this shitty fort fuck it let's m- march on right but it seemed like they chose the worst of bo- of all worlds by like it's ineffectively attack and lose like seven eight hundred guys, and then go on her merry way. Yeah, and that brings me to the point. They never really showed me why this place was important. Why I don't think it why was. a battle was going to happen here. Like why they were building a bridge here. Like they didn't really tell me logistically what the point of this. And also, was. what were the Zulus hoping to do? Were the Zulus hoping to were like? Were the British overrunning their empire already, and they got sick of it and decided to kick them out? Like, like I'm saying, like, um, if you open up a revolutionary war film, mm-hmm. and, like, the Americans are fighting the British, you we know right. that it was over taxation and sure. impressment of soldiers and quartering of soldiers and all this shit. You don't have to, like, have title cards to lay that out. For and an it would American be audience, bizarre sure. to do that, but for an American audience, the Zulu war thing, like, I felt like I needed that. It's like, why are they fighting? Is this... Does the Zulu Empire have borders and the British are trying to take over them and they're trying to repel them? Have they already been overrun and there's been a whole bunch of intolerable acts and they're trying to throw them out now? Like, exactly. Like you said, are are they just not tolerating any British uh, presence in their borders at all? I I didn't understand. The title card we do get, well, credits, uh, is quote-unquote introducing Michael Caine, which I thought was odd given that he had been in a lot of stuff. Prior to this, like so, TV shows, movies, but shorts. bit parts. They always. This was his first major right. role. So is it? And I'm. I've. I Batman the, Begins introducing Michael Caine. I thought the introducing. I also thought that was something they did with female actors. Okay, but they is sometimes it? they do like you know fucking Soderbergh's that introducing Julia Roberts on Ocean's Eleven just what as a joke. F- okay. Um, but no, I feel like that it's you a little can strange, comfortably too. say introduce if all you've been in is television and like minor speaking like not even maybe not even speaking roles in films then this can be an introduction because he was the co-lead yeah i i don't know uh starring credit would have made sense but like that's just that seems weird to me uh let's see what else we want to talk about i feel like we've speaking of the actors i i oh go ahead this the daughter not being able to handle the culture of the zulus like that was another thing that made me, I guess, dislike her character as well as the acting is just like you're you're watching something that isn't that shocking and strange and horrifying. No. And yet you're reacting like it is. This like, isn't like a Dothraki wedding where people are getting stabbed and right. raped and like it's... You're you're watching a cultural ritual here. Just like calm down. Yeah. Calm the fuck down. You're freaking out when they every time they turn around like yeah. they're coming at you. Oh my god, there's a brown breast. Ah! Well, I saw a ball sack. Ah! <laughs> it's 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 crazy. As a 10-year-old, that's what young Jim appreciated about this movie. Yeah. Is the the fine native breasts. Yeah. Uh, which are not the national we talked about this while watching it. Not National Geographic style breasts, I got to say. Well, that's the thing. Like I feel like it's shitty to be like, "Oh, Nat Geo breasts." Like if you're looking at a 40-year-old African woman who's never worn right. a bra, like 
and she's had God knows how many kids. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know that that does that ravages your pert fucking breast, guys. But like here, you're seeing right, like, National Geographic breast does not. But like I'm saying, like they're is describing it's, it's a like, type of it's of they're, they're thinking thing. African dudes are marrying these floppy titted, but no, they're marrying right. 18, 19 year old perky jutted. I mean, there was breast right. of the, all shape and size and attractive levels in this movie. It, yeah, yeah. It it's was like, as a ten year old, like seeing this on TV, I was like, "Oh my god!" I mean, there's a little Look bit of it. racism in the Nat Geo tits kind of discussion, right? No, like those no, are just I, no, yeah, I think so. That that's like I, those are lower shelf titties, man. Right, with good reason, though. I know, but I'm saying like when people say that, I feel like they're it's it's just a little bit tinged. I I don't know about that. All okay. right. It would, uh, it'd be shocking if, if the one thing that touches on and race and culture uh, would not be tinged with with racism. But you know, whatever. what about the Nat Geo facial hair? What are you talking about? <laughs> Is that a thing? Just the facial hair on these people. My God, I know it's of the era. What are you but... talking about? Oh, the British guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You it's the, you it's got, incredible. You got handlebar mustaches. Mm-hmm. You've got, which is funny because a lot of shit's making a comeback. Right. Like, well, you could go down to, back. Hmm. Uh, 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 you, you, like, Eric's neighborhood. What is that neighborhood? Uh, Ballard? But, I mean, there, there are a lot of neighborhoods in there where you it's could go. It's the one that's got the Statue of Lenin. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've never been to it. You, you, you go down, and you could do a casting call on that and basically cast these guys, and they wouldn't have to do any kind of yeah. shaving at all. It's just, just like, there t- you take go. Take the flannel off of them yep. and stick them in a out, uh, military outfit. Sure. And you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Although you might have to scraggle it up a bit, like mm. less less beard wax, less beard oils. Yeah, you got you got more you got, scrag. You got handlebars, you got chin straps, you yeah. got crazy lamb chop Big combination chops. handlebars. Right. It's it's amazing. I love it. It's amazing. It's good stuff. Lots of farmer tans too. Yep. Because these guys don't take their red coats off in the blazing blazing heat. They just sweat. Uh, did you know that the guy playing the Zulu king here? Is actually the real life great grandson yes. of the Zulu king, which I thought was pretty fucking amazing. Uh, uh, from the real battle, all these extras were Zu- were, were actual right. Zulu. Yeah, and I read some source that said because due to apartheid laws they couldn't be paid, and I was really getting pissed. But then I read <laughs> another one said, no, no, that's, that's actually true, bullshit. Yeah. That they were paid what was whatever the British scale for extras, right? Um, and of course, the females were paid half, and that's not um, that's not a no, joke. No. That's, that okay. was just. Straight up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the article made note of that. Um, uh, so the other thing I want to say is the one that I was most sad because I feel like this is the this is the thing this is the thing where you read in a history book and like I got to make this movie is after the, after the final attack when you think the zoos are finally going to circle them in instead they form up and they do this ritual dance dirge song of respect to the fellow brave warriors. And the okay. British sing their uh, regiment regiment song, whatever their their thing is, uh, yeah. back to them, and I'm like, that's kind of cool, and it was entirely fictionalized. Yep, <laughs> never and I'm happened. Like, okay, what well, really happened is they went away after that final charge, and there were some scragglers that continued fighting yeah. for a little while, and then it just died down. In fact, I think that that's one of the things that explains this is that I don't think the Zulus were truly committed because it seems like in when I read the historical account that there was only maybe two charges 
and then they went away. Huh. And then there was another completely unattached regiment of Zulu warriors that were not led by the same guy and all that. And then there was a very small – and the British thought, like, oh, shit, here it comes again. Mm-hmm. But they didn't even engage with them. So it's like I hmm. felt like they also fictionalized how long the assault took and the fact that it didn't span a day and a night and all that stuff. But I don't know. I thought it was cool. I thought when the mission yeah, caught fire, that was a real highlight. Like – that stuff still works. Men fighting in burning oh, yeah. buildings, and there's yeah. d- dudes pouring in through the windows. And there, it was cool how like this stuff is all Adobe Hut type shit. So uh-huh. like the British soldiers <laughs> were actually digging their way out of the building yeah. by just knocking down walls and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool and inventive. Yeah, I I will say honestly, like uh, instead of you know you know contrary to what I was saying about the acting bothering me and being dated and then. Uh, getting in the way of my enjoyment, I I don't have a huge problem with fictionalized versions of history. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if we didn't fictionalize history, there would be like five battles in all of history that we'd sure. ever portray on film because right. of how epic they are. Yeah, and that would get real fucking old real yeah. fast. Yep. So like, I don't have a huge problem with fictionalizing these true stories. I don't need. I I, I don't either. It's one of those things where when you find out like, oh, this crazy detail is true, it makes you appreciate it all the more. And right. when you find out it's yeah. false, it's like, ah. Well, it's know. a movie. Of course. Yeah, bummer. But then it yeah. doesn't really affect. I, that's the thing. Like, I feel like this movie would cry out for a second viewing after you got all that out of your system. So you can then it's like, okay, I know now what all's happening. Mm-hmm. Now I can go back and, and enjoy it for instead of being trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, I could have used some, I, I could have used like a Cliff Notes version for Americans. Like, why, why this is significant? What are the stakes? What did, it, you know, what was the aftermath and, and all that? But, absent all that, I thought the movie's, uh, I thought the movie's objectively beautiful to look at. Uh, Kind of the style of filmmaking and its sweep and grandeur that you don't see today, and even like right. the, the look of the film. Like I don't know why. Um, like even I saw the Hateful Eight, and it's shot with a lot of the same cameras that ah uh, fuck I can't remember what the movie was, but like it's it's the same technology, but it doesn't look the same. Right. I don't know if it's the post processing or what, but like that. It's probably the film stock. It's probably all of it. I mean, it's just something about the colors and the grain and all that stuff gives it this very particular look that's kind of in that Lawrence of Arabia and Ben-Hur and Spartacus kind of way. And you're never going to see stuff like that again. So if that, I mean, I feel like at this point in our discussion, you either know if you're going to see the movie or not. Um, Yeah. There's something about, you know, Watching a movie that you know is from an era where they couldn't have created any of this with special effects. Yes. Um, when you see that first Zulu ritual at the beginning, it's super impressive just because of the scope of it and knowing these are all real people on this real stage. This shot you're seeing, none of it is fictional. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, and it's, it just probably wasn't even choreographed. It's like, hey, this this cool thing you do, can you do it? it right. <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. It's not I, like someone. Have... Yeah, not, no, no one came in and said, oh, you need to do, and, and uh, I need to coach yeah. you. And I'm, or maybe they did. Like, hell, I don't know if they're still doing this shit. Uh-huh. Um, like, if they're doing mass weddings or if they do doing that dance between the bride and the groom, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh-huh. And they go into the history of, like, you know, the, the brides have spears, too. And um, they have, like, almost this ritualized combat. And then they join as one at the end. And I thought that some of that stuff was really neat. 
Yeah. And also just, again, objectively gorgeous to look at. Right. You see a thousand people on screen, you know there were a thousand people on set. It's yep. crazy. Yep. Uh, the one other thing I wanted to mention, uh-huh. did you know this director, uh, or I, no, co- co-writer? Cy Enfield. Yeah. Uh, was director blacklisted for being a communist back in the day. No had shit. to leave Hollywood, go over to Britain, make make a bunch of movies under so an assumed name. So he's not an English film director. He, he might be an English ex-op? film director. Okay. I don't know if he like came over to America, started making movies in Hollywood, then got blacklisted. But he's directing in exile, huh? I think at this point he still was. Yeah, in '64. Like I, I don't know. I know he made for a long time movies under a fake name that I I don't have off the top of my head. Huh? No, I did not. But, I did not see that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, so you know, racism. Uh, what what do you call that? Politicism, I guess. Uh, yeah, anti- just the disparaging I- of certain ideals. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what word you put on that, but you know, this movie has all of it. Political discrimination. Sure. Like you, if sounds- you're affiliated with the Communist Party, you cannot you cannot participate in democracy. Yeah. <laughs> So, so well, know. you know, war, war makes people do crazy things. Yep. Cold wars apparently are not exempt from that. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else you'd like to mention? No. All right. Well, thank you, Glenn Subert, for recommending this movie and for not just recommending, but for ponying up the cash to have us watch it. And I, for one, uh, enjoyed my time with the movie. If you would like to commission your podcast... Uh, you, the person I'm speaking to right now, all of you, uh, you can do so by going to baldmove.com slash shop, and there's a big film-looking reel. You can click on it, take you to our commission category page, where we've got a variety of off-the-shelf commissions that you can chip in $10 at a time towards getting, and once once we get to a certain level of, uh, of support, we pull them down and do them. Or you can just uh, you know call your own custom. Just call your own shot, like like Glenn here did. Uh, it's going to be hard to get 30 people together to support uh, financing a film like Zulu. Sometimes you got to, you got to, it's a passion project. You got to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. All that stuff at baldmove.com slash shop. And the next one I just peaked, Back to the Future. Okay. That's what I can get behind. Might have a few, might have a few things to say about that. I will say I didn't dislike my time watching this movie he hated like, it I, it sounds like he sobbed in the corner right. the whole time glenn it you comes get, across like what is this 60s, you got, 60s bullshit you got your money's worth when it comes to inflicting harm on jim jones so <laughs> not as much as the princess bride people did there won't be any cu- there won't be there won't be any rough cultural gears to shift over when it comes to uh, back to the future back no i that's my wheelhouse man yep back to the future all the way so yeah uh looking forward to that one Thanks, Glenn, for commissioning this one. I did not hate it. Uh, it was just a little dated. <laughs> I can't wait. I got to make a Zulu, like, 1964 era movie yeah. where it says, I did not hate it, Jim Jones. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, a uh, uh, stalwart of British <laughs> cinema. I did not hate it. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for commissioning it. We'll, we'll see you guys next time. All right, bye-bye.